Bates says, you know, Gear kind of is asking the same question. Are they superior to us? What are they? And he says, you know, um, look at that window washer up there on the building. Now... Welcome to Bike Talk LA. We're testing to see if this works because we've never done this without Nick. But I'm here in the studio with Bobby and Chuck. Who neither of them have microphones. <laughs> that one's working. I don't know. Is this one working? Is this one working? So, Chuck, do you want to introduce yourself while you have the only microphone that works? Oh, hey. Uh, hey, Bike Talk. My name is Charles Hain. Uh, what am I, I mean, I've, I've been volunteering at the Bike Kitchen since 2003. So I was around when it was actually in a kitchen. And uh, I ride a Pinarello that I bought in Houston, Texas in the year 2000. Well, welcome, and um, we are also joined in the studio with Kristen, who is also a volunteer at the Bike Kitchen. Hi, everybody. And Hi, today, Kristen. today we have a. No, you're fine. Uh, today we have two goals. Um, one is to talk about bikes, and the second is to figure out how to work the turntables in the Kill Radio Studio. So, um, because we haven't figured out how to work. The turntables in the Kill Radio studio. I think we're going to talk about bikes first. Did you try? Um, I've seen Nick when he does music. He does it. Oh no no no! On the intranet. Oh, there it is. What is this? Okay, so we're gonna do a quick uh, music interlude, and we'll be right back. This is so classy.
So that was uh, David Monroe in the early music consort of London, London from his Renaissance Suite. Uh, you might be wondering what this has to do with bicycles, and it does have a connection. It, it was music that was featured in the film La Courgette, which is uh, a 70s documentary about Eddie Merckx, Who's that? which is uh, the awesomest bicyclist of all time. Why? Because <laughs> he dominated the uh, bike racing for like a decade and a half or something, where he won pretty much everything. When? In like the 70s, and he's really, really good looking. Good to know. Oh, hey. <laughs> I mean, you've seen pictures of him, right? Like, no. He's like just really, he's really good looking. No. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll be sure to check it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should see that movie. Um, so yeah, so that, uh, so that music, the music in the film was all this uh, Renaissance music uh, from David Monroe, uh, which is really cool and surprisingly fits the the film really well. Uh, so maybe we'll we'll play some more of it later if if these other people let me. So uh, I think Kristen's going to say something now. Well, I'm really excited because I found, I'm, I've been noodling around on the internet and I found a couple of really great websites. Well, actually, one my boyfriend found and the other is actually our friend's blog. So as, as, you, as you bike talk talkers may have known, uh, I've brought up Ramona and Joshua, former cooks, of the kitchen who are off on their grand adventures cycling through Europe. You know what I did this morning? What did you do? I read their entire blog from from the beginning. To, Isn't it good to, stuff? To now it's real good. Doesn't it just make you want to jump in a river? Jump in a river. Um, and join them in Europe. I think they're in Switzerland now. Take my bike to a foreign country, which I've never done. Um, but you know, to many countries, you can take your bike along, and they're not allowed to charge you extra, right? Like no. when you fly to Korea, by really? treaty with Korea, you have to be able to check your bike as a bag <gasps> without an extra charge. So this like is when important. I went to Korea, I just took my bike, and it was awesome. But did they charge you for your other bag? I only took, I only checked two bags, and this was back when you could check two bags without getting uh, charged. Uh-huh. And so one bag was my bike, and the other bag was my stuff. So you. There's just certain. Is it? Is there like a list of countries, or is it just a lot of countries? They don't. I mean, I thought it was every country until someone told me they got charged to take their bike to Germany. But uh, like, I think that there should. I'm sure there's a list somewhere on the internet. Uh, I can guarantee South Korea. Uh huh. And that's all I got. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Well, that's really good to know because it, it's kind. I mean, with within the states, it's really expensive to. It can be really expensive to take your bike with you. Yeah, yeah it kind of it makes you wonder: is it more cost effective to ship your bike? Or we've talked about this before. Yeah, or, or rent, it. Yeah. rent a bike once you get there. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have your own bike with you when you're traveling. But like yeah. I said, I've never I've never done that before, and I also don't travel a lot outside of the I've, city of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to the Canadian side of Niagara Falls and as far south as Ensenada with your bike. No, just in general. <laughs> just, just in general. I just, I just got my, my passport and have dreams of, of going somewhere. One day. With your bicycle? Following, yeah. I totally want to do it with a bicycle. Yeah, traveling by bicycle is like... Oh, God, there's so many paths that just, like, crisscross all these countries. And, and, well, and what's funny is a lot of other countries' bicycling infrastructure is totally different. Like, I just got back from Kabul. And I wouldn't have thought it, but Kabul's kind of like the dream city for cycling because there's a bike shop on every block. It's really? It's really small. It's like a hole in the wall. But, like, 
literally, I like watched a dude like riding in the street, get a flat, walk it to a bike shop, fix it at the bike shop with the dude and get back riding. And so it's just like completely different. Like no one would ever think to take tools with them because there's so many bike shops everywhere. Wow. And everybody owns the same bike. So every bike shop only has to have like four tools. That's nice. Nice, That's nice, really nice, nice. Yeah. One of the tools is a hammer. But <laughs> I'm, would it be horrible if, oh wow, there's like a really loud moped outside. Would it be terrible if I uh, gave Joshua and Ramona's blog to the world? I think they would be to excited, the right? Yeah. Anonymous bike or bike yeah, talk let's, world. Let's just list it, man. I mean, I think we have like seven I listeners. highly recommend it. It's so, ins- it's just, it's so inspiring and makes makes me really restless. Their their blog is whereisyourbicycle.blogspot.com and there's really great pictures of their adventures and I think at this point most of their riding has been on bike path. Yeah. There's been a little bit of road it sounds like, but mostly bike path, but the pictures are just like just I- ideal. My, I think my favorite one was the cherries along the bike path, cherry trees along the bike path. <sighs> I want to go. And so, but you, closer to home, you said, Kristen, that you have um, a good, some good resources for bike paths here in the Los Angeles area. Yes, yes, yes. Um, me and my sugar Stevie have been um, adventuring out outside of our city and hitting all these different... Um, bike paths in Southern California. Um, this last weekend, we did a 52, 53-mile circuit, um, went from Montebello to Long Beach. And we took, what was it? We took the San Gabriel River bike path, and then it took us like took us down to South Beach, or not South Beach, Seal Beach. And then uh, we unfortunately went along the ocean, which was just maddening. Oh man! Why too many people? Or? So many people, just like that, will suddenly stop in front of you, or like. And is that part of the boardwalk where they have a dedicated bike lane? It is. It, it's a really great bike lane. The infrastructure is really cool because it's a bike path, and then there's a pedestrian lane. Right, but it it doesn't work. It works actually. The while you're on the beach, uh-huh. I really fa- I was really surprised to find that um, a lot of the pedestrians stayed in the pedestrian mm. area. But the the problem was that just the people riding their bikes oh i see. you know like cr- making like a wall like all next to each other making a wall you can't even get around them right or they they suddenly stop path or hogs. Huh, path hogs yeah but um but then after that we went up the we went through and we went to like the eastern edge of long beach northeast edge and then went up the la river to rio hondo and it was just it was lovely it's so oh, cool because yeah. along both paths, um, they've recently been repaved. There's a little piece. I was on the Rio Hondo in the middle of the night with, with a bunch of dudes, <laughs> and, and it was very nice. It's, it, it's like, it's gorgeous. It is, it is very smooth. I didn't get to see anything because it was nighttime, but yeah. it was this nice there, little, you know, you don't have to worry about potholes when you're on that Yeah. Path. Well, I got to say that the south end of the San Gabriel bike path, as like the last mile is pretty tore up, it's and, really bumpy. And where's? I, I'm not familiar with the San. Is that all in the San Gabriel Valley? N- no, or the San Gabriel River. Okay. It's a river, and it just goes along. It's. I think it starts up in the San Gabriel. Uh-huh. 
Valley, and then it goes all the way down to, to Seal Beach. Okay. And there's a cafe there, actually, like, right at the end. And, uh, like, as you're going out to the jetty, it's really, it's really nice. So there's a lot of people fishing. and But the cafe closes at 2. Okay. And, so, Bobby, yeah, the, the, you the, actually commute to Long Beach. Yeah, yeah, on the L.A. River Path. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, the San Gabriel Bike Path is pretty much parallel to the L.A. River Path. Oh, okay. But it's okay. just, like... 15 miles east. Yeah, it's like uh, a... And it goes a lot farther than the LA River Path. It's really long. Okay. It goes really far north. That's And it was... it was. I think it goes 15 miles north of Montebello. Yeah. Okay. Which is yeah. actually where we started. Yeah. And did you... To get to the start of your ride, did you drive your truck? We drove. Okay. We drove. I didn't drive my truck. My sister actually was oh, down here right. with her... She's got like a rack on top. So you drove... So you drove to there, and then you did the 52 miles and ended up in the same spot. Yeah. Okay. But it's a, it's actually a really nice starting point. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's it's really... It's wooded, and um, you got to watch out for pedestrians and their dogs, though. Almost. And about how long did you... Were you guys riding and enjoying... We were... I mean... Was it like a full day? Yeah, it was, a, it was pretty much a full day. I don't think we got... No, we didn't get rolling till noon. <laughs> Which is morning time for me. No, okay. <laughs> you can take you can take the, the the new East Side Gold Line out there now too. Really? Yeah, to Montebello. The actual the last stop is, um, I think it's in Montebello or it's really close to Montebello. Mm. And then you can ride on Beverly um, to get to the bike path from there, and it's only a couple miles. Oh, nice. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I'm doing that next time. Yeah. Then you don't have to you know ride through the big industrial part of LA and you know through. East LA and all that, but mm-hmm. which I never have done actually, so I don't know if it's good or bad. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charles says it's nice if you like industrial wasteland. <laughs> I actually like industrial wasteland. I do too. I wish that I had uh, a better way to document where I end up riding mm-hmm. because I have a camera and I bring it everywhere I go, but I never end up using it. Because I'm on my bike, and I need to learn how to. I'm gonna invent a Green. helmet camera uh-huh. where all you have to do is blink to take a picture. <laughs> but that's too many pictures. I don't want that many pictures. No, you have to blink in a specific way, <laughs> like a blink. I, I would even I would even settle for a camera that's like like hooked up to my helmet that I have like a or a cord to on my brakes or something like mm. somehow click that and take a picture it might already exist i just i just need to to get it Ooh, later on i that reminds me i'm reading a really great book and you have to remind me because it's actually a photographer from the late 1800s and he was like riding around with this big ass camera can i say the a word you can curse on the internet Okay. What a lot of people do is they rig up their iPhone to their handlebars, and then you just touch the screen of your oh. iPhone, and it takes a picture, and they make a specific bike mount for your iPhone, so you can take a bunch of pictures with what it. What about a Google uh, My Touch? Another, another reason why I need to enter the 2010s and uh, buy a cool phone. And what's cool is they have GPS in it, so it automatically knows where oh, you took the photo. so cool. And you can get programs that trace your route as you go so that you get home and you're like, oh, that's the route I actually rode. Because a lot of times you can do that with a Google phone too. Right. Yeah, and they do it for Android, uh, all of the Google phones. Better network. Way better network, you're correct, and the phones are way cheaper. However, their interface. We don't have reception problems. Their interface is just not as cool. It is cool. It's a touch screen and a rolly ball. Yeah, but I'm sorry. The iPhone wins. (gasps) No, it doesn't. (laughs) 
I disagree. Okay, anyways, it doesn't matter. I have a rolly ball. All, all that matters is that I don't have the funds to buy or pay for either of those kinds of phones, so it doesn't matter. You have really a matter. fancy phone, though. It's shiny no. and red. But it's the thing about it is once you start thinking about it as a biking-enabling tool, you think about it differently. Yeah, right? like and that's very true. If it just a phone, true. I wouldn't be willing to pay that kind of money, but I look at all the things I do differently. Like, I haven't printed out directions in two years since I got the phone because you stopped thinking about things like that. I'm so, the like, same way with my phone, too. Yeah. Joshua and Ramona, actually, all their blogging and all the pictures that they're taking is with their iPhone. Straight from the yeah. iPhone, which yeah. is really actually a very cool thing because, like I said, like, you know, if you have a camera but you don't take pictures with it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So it would be... Whereas having a device always with you that knows where you are. I mm-hmm. mean, the geotagging thing is the coolest bit because one of the most fun things about a cy- being a cyclist is that you... You don't necessarily always know where you are. Mm-hmm. You're sort of riding, and you're like, I'm heading generally this way, and I'm going to sort of figure it out when I get there. And by the time I get home, I usually can't remember where I came from. Exactly. So I sort of have to, I sort. I can usually sort of piece it together, but. Yeah, and when I'm home, I know where Steve is all the time. <laughs> I can just stalk him through our phones. That's Whoa. creepy. <laughs> I always forget that I can, though, but I could if I wanted to. Steve, but I don't. <laughs> I hope you know this. I hope everyone knows this. Wow. Oh, I just remembered. Yes. Have you guys been... Do you guys go to the Silver Lake Farmer's Market? On occasion. It's a little mm-hmm. overpriced compared to the other farmer's markets. Yeah. It is. It is. I, but it's I, like, I stick um, to the Atwater Village Farmer's Market, everyone. Well, and the East Hollywood one on Wednesdays is not bad. But check it out. <laughs> Pop Cycle. Oh, yeah. John oh, yeah. Cassidy. God bless Pop. Are they there? Lady. They're there every Saturday at the Farmer's Market. Until I just remembered. When? Um, all day? It's all day. Two. Until they sell out. Okay. Until two? Or until they sell out. Um, they got that really sweet, custom-made, like, John Cassidy and Alex from Atomic Cycles, like, yeah. made this custom, beautiful, for, like, for those of juicy you who don't orange know, Pop Cycles cooler. is a new venture. She's, she's trying to t- type and talk by, at the same time. By uh, John Cassidy and Michelle. What's Michelle's last name? Anyone? I don't know. I don't know either. Anyways, um, if you search, I believe they have a um, Twitter that sort of tells everyone where they are. They make these decadent, homemade popsicles that are that will just blow your skirt up. They're so good. They brought me one. My skirt got blown off. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I just had one recently. Cassidy brought one to my birthday picnic, and it was a cantaloupe anise. Oh and it's great God. because the, the cooler is built into the bicycle, like sort of an old school, like the ice cream man. If you grew up in a neighborhood with an ice cream man, but it's like way more efficient, and lightweight, and easier to get around. And it's not a tricycle; it's a bicycle. It's so pretty. It's awesome. It's this beautiful. The, the orange powder coat is just. It's, it's very appetizing. Yeah. So the whole the whole thing is you know. And if you want to know where they are, um, their Twitter account is. Pop Cycle, that's P-O-P-C-Y-C-L-E, Treats on Twitter. And um, Kristen thinks that they're spending the day at the Silver Lake Farmer's Market, which is at Silver Lake and Lucille. No, it's it's a, at the Triangle Park. Or Sunset, sunset sorry. And, sunset yeah, and Lucille The Triangle Park at Sunset and Lucille. Across from the 99-cent store. Right by where Griffith Park Boulevard and Lucille meet Sunset. Yeah, so hopefully they're out there today. Um, but for those of you who aren't listening live, they are always around um, on the weekends, and they'll be doing this through Labor Day. So make what sure happens to check after out. Labor Day? 
Oh, it's a seasonal business. People yeah. don't like popsicles. And yeah, we cold. were discussing this last night, and this has nothing to do with cycling. It, but hmm. popsicles are very fickle, according to John, and people don't popsicle consumers. The popsicle, the popsicle itself, itself is not. Yeah, the popsicle itself is not fickle, but yeah. <laughs> but it knows what it wants. Only only will buy it when it's sunny and hot outside. People do not buy popsicles at night, even though you can buy ice cream at night. And everyone is happy to eat ice cream at night. No one buys a popsicle at night. If you are mm. in the shade, people do not buy a popsicle. You have to be in the sun, direct sunlight, to sell popsicles. Um, because if you're in the shade, people do not want to buy a popsicle. So this has probably been a bad week for popsicle sales. Yeah, because it's been cold. So basically, the idea is that they have kind of learned some good lessons. That even though it's sunny all the time in Los Angeles, with the exception of this morning... Um, well, and all of the last five weeks. Yes. And like three months. Yeah. And I think it's, it started as May gray, and then there's the, the June, gloom. June gloom, but what is it in July? It's still June gloom. No, it's the July. You have to rhyme with ju- July. Normally July is July cry. Gray July sky. Ooh. <laughs> That's good. I, I like, like it. that. Anyways. Or I think I, I heard somebody say can't see the sky July. Buy, buy a Popsicle even when it's cloudy because they taste just as delicious. Oh. Well, no, but then you mess up the economics of the thing, they right? Will put like, he's doing a study here. It's he's sunshine on a stick. Yeah, it is sunshine on a stick. At least the cantaloupe anise. Oh, that yeah. one's good. They have strawberry basil lemon. They have all Ar- Arnold Palmer's. <gasps> oh. I love Arnold Palmer's. Coconut chocolate. Are they, all, are they all, all ages or do they also have alcohol-infused Popsicles? I don't think that they do, but they should. I don't think they would freeze. What? Wouldn't that keep it from freezing right? Well, Scoops has booze in flavored ice cream. I mean, it I'm not talking about 40 proof popsicles here, but you know, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Take the I don't edge know. Off. I don't know. I know that they have like vegan and non vegan ones, but I mean, how hard I is it to make popsicles? I don't believe they have vegan? any that are. Um, for the adults. For the adults. Cigarette popsicles. But they should, because I really like the idea, not of cigarette popsicles, but of... Nicotine... Uh, a margarita mean? popsicle, right? That sounds delicious. Margarita popsicle sounds yeah. fantastic. Uh, and it would be delivered to you on a bicycle, which is even more fantastic. A beautiful, custom, handcrafted, orange ray of sunshine. So you, you were reading a book about a uh, 19th century, 18th century, 19th century oh. photographer? I'm reading this really sweet book. It is called The Lost Cyclist. This, this is so sad. I'm, like lost I'm like, to history? Or I'm wearing a shirt lost. with a bicycle on it. I'm reading a bike about bicycles. A book about reading bicycles. Reading a book. <laughs> a book about bicycles. I never read bikes about bicycles. I always read bikes about other things. A bike about bicycles. But it's really good. It's by David V. Herlihy. And it's about... Um, nonfiction, yeah? Does that mean True. I get confused. Yes. Um, it is it nonfiction. Not made up. It is nonfiction. <laughs> Trying to be true. It's about Fran- Frank Lenz, who he was like a early, tw- he was like 25 when the magazine called Outing in like 1890 something um, paid for him, commissioned him to ride uh, a new, a new bike called the Safety Cycle around the world. The and whole world. The whole world, except Lucky for the watery guy. parts. Um, so the safety cycle is what happened after the big wheelers, after the penny farthing. When it's and it's pretty much what we ride today. The, and it the was double diamond frame. 
a double diamond frame. Or a double triangle diamond frame, sorry. And it's got the pneumatic tires. It's actually, he was the first one to really promote the pneumatic tire. Like, one of the first. And um, Before that, tires were solid rubber, or? They were solid rubber. Whoa, lame. Yeah. And people were like, there's no way. And this is before paved roads. And this dude's riding, uh, it's crazy. And the springs on the saddle, there are pictures in the middle of the book, which are just amazing. And uh, he's got, like, big old springs on the saddles. The fork is crazy looking. But he went by himself, and it chronicles his journey. Um, and he disappeared in Turkey during the Armenian-Turkish war. He just and was never seen again? Never seen again. So the, these are, like, the chronicles before he got there? Well, it, it follows, together? it starts with, um, there are two guys who, the f- two guys ruin who... ruin the ending of the book? No, no. No, you know ahead of time that he, he dies, but, um... There are two guys, I forget their names, who who do it before him, and they're very successful. Um, but, you know, they're together. And then he, his, Frank Lenz, his, his shtick was that he was going to take pictures. So he's actually riding around with a big old, big old time camera and um, tripod on his is back. Is he sending these pictures back as he goes? Or he is, all once a month. He's sending the photographs and his essays to Outing Magazine. And then... The, the correspondence just stops after he enters Turkey. And then um, there's another guy that Outing had to send after him to find his body. I haven't gotten that far yet. Like, he hasn't actually... And find out what happened. And this is actually... The book is based on the guy who went to find Frank. All based on his research. But it's... It's, it's really... It's really... It's really cool. You know, there's that um, bike shop called Safety Cycles. I never realized why they were called Safety Cycles because that's actually well, it's way the basis to ride a of bike the that you can, you know, get your feet on the ground exactly. and have pneumatic tires than it is to ride a penny farthing. No matter yeah. how cool you look on a penny farthing with your mustache. But even before, like he was touring, before he was touring, he was riding a penny farthing, um, great long distances. And he, that's how he fell in love with the, the bike. I'm going to give the... Yeah, well, and there's, there's the guy in the 1800s who did ride around the world successfully on a penny farthing solo. Yeah, I, I forgot his name, but I think he was the first to do it on a bicycle. And, well, yeah, and it was, you know, penny farthings were the only available. I don't remember exactly, the 18-something, 1800-somethings. But um, in the 80s, a guy did that again on a penny farthing, rode around the world solo. Yeah, the 1980s, yeah, yeah. Which is really funny because you see him on this penny farthing, but it's like a penny farthing made of like modern, you know, bike parts, and he has like you know panniers on it and everything. It's just really funny because <laughs> <laughs> it looks totally ridiculous. <laughs> I think probably yeah, but it was it was meant to be you know like a recreation, a, 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 you know, so it says an homage had, to this guy's trip. He only had four flat tires in the United States. You were from one end of the United States to the other with only four flat tires. That's good. I think. I believe it. I think that there's some bicycles. Yes. No one can hear. Kristen suggesting that there was less glass and no car windows being smashed. But I also think that that some wheels, for whatever reason, are cursed, because my little brother biked from Canada to San Francisco last summer, and the group got 17 flat tires, and all 17 were his. So I think either 
he's a moron and something's wrong with his wheel and he couldn't figure it out or somehow it's just I mean somehow there's like a, a curse on certain wheels because I also don't get flat tires well it's three factors right like it's do you ride with enough air pressure because a lot right. of people just don't fill their tires up enough and they get more flat mm-hmm. and then it's also like riding style like a lot of flats are like preventable if you don't you avoid little bumps and if you yeah. don't hop curbs and stuff like that and then Which yeah he probably doesn't and then avoid. there's probably something somewhere in his tire like a tiny little microscopic thing on his rim that just sort of like but you would think after like the fifth flat you would go looking for that thing which if your flats kept showing up at the mean, same place and, on the tube and he's not i mean he's he's a very smart guy you know it's not i mean he knows about bikes Everyone he was riding with, I think it was a group of, like, maybe ten of, maybe seven to ten of them. Like, everyone knew about bikes. It just, like, somehow he got all the flats from the entire group. Was he riding in front? Was he taking the point? Probably. Like in an action movie where probably. the point I mean, man always dies? Yeah, probably. That probably had something to do with it. But, I mean, I think after a while they just, you know, started, they, they sort of came to expect that Mark would get the flats. Um, and it could, it could have been something you know that he was doing. He is kind of um, ballsy. He probably wasn't protecting his wheels. Um, but I still just, I mean, I I really do. I think that some wheels are just more prone to to the flats than others. This guy. Yeah, he's current. I got two. I got two. Oh, that's row. right. You did get two flats in, in the, the span of like four hours. Yep. Just happens sometimes. Well, yeah. That also, like, I'm always nervous. Like, the first time I ride a bike after patching a flat, I'm always nervous that it didn't go perfectly. Like, you know, that second flat could possibly just be the first flat reoccurring, right? Or it was two separate flats. Two separate. Two Whoa. separate. Yeah. Different wheels? Different wheels. Oh, different wheels. So, this Frank Lenz dude in 1892 had a front suspension on his bike. Uh, that's what that fork is about? Yeah, that's oh. what the fork is about. It's a front suspension fork. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're going to ride around the world and make it most of the way, <laughs> um, and he did. I mean, he sort of kicked some ass, although he did cheat a little bit. He sailed from Karachi to... Yeah, um, I saw there were a lot of dotted lines on that map of sailing. <laughs> yeah, man. If you're going to do it, you got to ride your bike through Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, front suspension, way to do it. And his bike helmet was a pith helmet. It looks like one of those one of those weird leather ones. Yeah, one of those like yeah. British colonial. You know. I think he picked that up along the way. The pith helmet. You the don't pith think helmet you he picked up along the way because when he left, he was wearing this like cap. Ah, uh, and then he picked up a pith helmet, and then maybe a fez for a while. It looks like. So you can sort of document his trip around the world with his headgear, <laughs> cycling headgear around the universe. That's good. Yeah, so anyways, mostly, just, yeah, want to travel with my bike. Have, has, I mean, so, Chuck, you were just in Kabul. Yes. Did you have a bike? I did not have a bike while I was in but Kabul. But you, you rented a bike? Um, or you, were you able to ride? I mean, I guess you Did you kind touch of, a bike? Yeah, I touched you, a bike. I fixed some bikes. Some bikes. <laughs> okay. And um, then, as soon as I went to the bike shop, because I shot like a video blog at the bike shop. Okay. As soon as I went to the bike shop and my uh, the guy I was with who speaks a little bit of Dari was like, this guy fixes bikes. They were like, great. You pump up these tires. 
<laughs> and I was like, okay, awesome. This is what we would totally do if someone walked into the bike kitchen and said, I know how to fix bikes. We right. fixed that, pump tires. So I pumped some tires and hung out with some okay. people. And um, it was awesome. I, uh, they are Everyone in Kabul has the same bicycle. I saw maybe a thousand bikes while I was there. And there were two that weren't this Chinese-made Phoenix bike. Okay. Which is pretty similar to the Flying Pigeon that is imported to America now. And it's mm-hmm. pushrod actuated brakes. So it's actually kind of a bitch to get your uh, your tires on and off. So, like, literally this guy had a flat tire, rolled up to the bike shop we were hanging at, and they patched his tire without taking the wheel off in, cool. like, two minutes. Yeah, what's, a, awesome. what's a pushrod activated brake? A pushrod activated brake. So we use cable, unless you're using, like, hydraulic disc brakes, we use cable actuated yeah, brakes. Yeah. So, like, the cable pulls through the housing yeah. to clamp it up. But um, pushrod actuated brakes are, like, a pre-World War II technology where, literally, you physically move the letter and, like, a metal rod turns and pushes your um, uh, your pads against your rim. So it's a mechanical process as opposed to a cable process. And so there has to be a straight metal rod between your handlebar? Well, I don't no, it could, it could go on kind of a cool little twisty journey as it rotates in this way and that way, and then there's little gears in various places. It's like a Rube Goldberg kind of device. Um, it sounds like there's less flexibility. Involved. There is much less. Fl- I mean, as soon as we figured out cable actuation, push yeah. rods got dropped. Like it's well, not. Well, because you can like disengage your cable yeah. and you open your cable, up your brakes. Take your wheel off. This is like primitive bicycle technology. Ah. But because it's primitive bicycle technology, the you know the infrastructure was already in place to manufacture it in mass, right? So somehow I mean, that some sounds a lot more complicated than cable actuated brakes. It's way more complicated, but there's a lot of things when you look at mechanical history where you're like, wow. Like if you look at the first derailers, the first derailers, the shifter was down on the fucking chainstays. Yeah. And yeah. you had to like you had to do this thing where wall pedaling, you kicked back to move the wheel forward, then shift the chain, and then kick back again to move the wheel back. <laughs> so like you know, wall. What's what great is, about what cycling? Is, what what is wall pedaling? What? What is wall pedaling? Wall. Oh, I wild said pedaling. Wild. Wild. Pedal. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> I get. I guess my I accent. Like this is a pedaling technique. I don't know. Of. I've been told I sound Canadian, so maybe that was the Canadian overlap. I don't know. Um, but sorry. So yeah, I mean, the cool thing about where we are on bicycles is that we've got like 150 years of making stuff simpler all the time, and so like that's what's gr- like when a new bike technology comes out and it's simpler than what came before. I'm always really excited about it. Like tubeless tires. I was like, yeah, okay, let's take the tube out of the equation. Like, let's remove <laughs> something from the system. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I have an affinity for that. Do you ride, do you ride sew-ups? Oh, no, I do not ride sew-ups. I rode sew-ups in L.A. for like six months, and then I got a flat. And then I was like, I'm done riding sew-ups. I don't feel like fixing <laughs> this. And I went back to riding clinchers. <laughs> but sew-ups are cool. Um, and did you do any, I know you went other places. Were there any other cool bike stories while you were traveling uh, i was in dubai as well and like so before you move to los angeles i don't know if you guys are all locals or not but before you move to la everyone tells you oh my god la is gonna suck it's nothing but freeways and shopping malls and right. no one rides their bike and there are no bikes yeah and um and in fact bicycle kitchen once made a jacket that said nobody bikes in la because of how many people had told me nobody bikes in la when like i bike in la and i know a lot of people who bike in la mm-hmm. anyway as far as I can tell, Dubai is everything that people told me was going to suck about L.A. Like, it's just shopping malls and freeways. <laughs> now, it's possible that there's a cool, like, biking culture in Dubai, and I just didn't find it. But I saw two bicycles the whole time I was there. Both what? Chinese-made phoenixes. Uh, in defense of Dubai, it's really wicked hot. 
it's ridiculously hot. So I can understand. And they have sandstorms. And they have sandstorms. And camel races. But at the same time, like, I tried to walk from the Burj Dubai to the building next to the Burj Dubai because we were having, like, a meeting. And you cannot walk from one building to, like, the city is not even designed to let you walk between two buildings. Really? Like, it was clearly intended that we were supposed to take a cab between two buildings next to each other. Trying to walk from one to the other took us on, like, this long journey way out of our way, like, around this fountain. Because, like, walking is just not something they plan for. They plan... It's an air-conditioned to air-conditioned city. I bet, I bet my friend worked on that fountain. <laughs> oh, you you have a friend who works on the fountain company? I have a I have a friend. There's like, there's like, two. There's only a handful of like big water feature design companies, and one of them my friend worked for. And I've done a little freelance work for, but she was in Dubai for like nine months, just working yep. on these water fountains. And it's crazy because it's like a desert environment. Like we talk about water conservation here in Los Angeles and we have like you know the the, the rules and regulations that I think they're yeah. they're putting into place again like you can't water your lawn certain yep. days of the week but it's like this desert and this huge just it's just so decadent and yeah. wasteful and I actually worked on one in Cairo yeah I worked on a, a Cairo like it's in the middle of the desert between Cairo and the airport and it's just like these huge they do it the huge roundabouts and it's like a pool of water a mile long, just yeah. evaporating. Constantly. It's crazy. Yeah, and Dubai's already humid enough. Like, we don't need to add, we don't need to be spraying more water into the humid <laughs> Dubai night. But what's funny is that also, like, they're decadent in their energy use. Like, I'd never, you have to bring a jacket with you at all times because they keep the AC so cold. Like, the <laughs> AC, like, it's in the, it's probably in the mid-60s. Isn't that a shock to your body? Yeah. I mean, that can't be good for you. out of these, like, freezing cold places to these scorching hot places and then back and even the buses were like freezing cold i'm interested in what that does in the long term to to someone who i mean that kind of like extreme shock to your system i i worry yeah (laughs) i don't like it yeah actually i stumbled across a blog one time of a a guy who lives in dubai and and rides like a folding bicycle Uh, and it was it was really funny because it was kind of similar to the bike blog you see in L.A. where someone's talking about, like, oh, you know, it's so car-centric, you know, I ride a bike. But, like, it was just funny because it was even more extreme for him where he was, like, the only person. And, yeah. like, it was, like, a weekly occurrence for him to be, like, in the newspaper or on TV as, like, the eccentric foreign guy riding a bike in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of awesome. That kind of makes me jealous. Yeah, yeah. And he, like, rides a Brompton, you know, like. And then uh, he, like, yeah. takes it. He can, like, he, like. He rides it to, like, the one metro line they have now, you know, yeah. and takes it on that. Although they're spending <laughs> a lot of money on that metro. Yeah, the yeah. stations are ridiculous. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that, and they're, like, all gold. And yeah. <laughs> the gold is ginormous. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's awesome, man. I wish I'd known about that blog before I went. It would have been cool to find Yeah, I, I got linked to it through um, Joseph's Brejali's blog. I don't something on there. I don't yeah. know. If you search the Dubai bike, he's probably the only guy who comes up. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> first pop. And then I was in uh, I was in Cuba uh, last year, and biking there was really awesome. I didn't actually bring my bike with me because it was hard enough to get into Cuba. But right. the bike scene in Cuba is really great because they're not really they don't really do a lot of import export, so they're very you know the same way they keep all their cars running from the fifties. Every once in a while, you see like an eighties BMW, but for the most part, it's like fifties American cars. It's also like fifties American bikes. But they've, like, kept them going. And they don't get new parts. So you, like, you'll be, like, walking around and you'll watch a dude, like, uh, or a car guy. You'll, like, watch a guy cutting his own gaskets. 
because he can't get new gaskets, so he gets a sheet of rubber and cuts his own gasket. And, like, the bike mechanics were the same way. Like, they can't get new parts, so they just figure out how to keep these bikes running with no, like... How did, how did they deal with the something as perishable as a bicycle tube? Because eventually it just it can't hold air anymore, right? Because um, it, it's rubber. It just rots. And, like, I mean, tires. I feel like in my life in L.A. I've seen bicycle tubes with, like, nine or ten... They must have some way of getting tires in. You're right, because 50-year-old tires are dust. Yeah, they just they crumble. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure the Soviet Union, they could get inner tubes. Because they had Soviet import-export up into the 90s. Oh, yeah, okay. But then, I mean, they probably get them from China now. Because they're communist and China's communist, right? Yeah, but... Yeah. I believe so. That's what I hear. That's the impression we get Mm -hmm. out here in California. Do you know I just realized? What? In my ramblings about bike paths, and I said that, that we found a website, and I never gave the website. Oh, yeah, give the oh, website. Yeah, People are dying to know. But first, I have a question. You know that squiggle? Look at your keyboard, Molly. Tilda. You know, tilde? Tilde. Tilde. T-I-L-D-E, tilde. Okay, that's the weird little squiggle that's or on your tilde, keyboard. Uh, on the upper left. Upper left. Tilda. Tilda? Tilde. Some people right. don't pronounce the E at all. They just say tilde. Tilde. <laughs> I don't like it. All right, so the website, this guy, his, his name is Dan. The website is n- nearfield.com slash tilde Dan. So N-E-A-R-F-I-E-L-D dot com backslash forward slash? Oh, because it's pointing to the right. right. We'll, we'll right, try to get start this, over again. We'll try to get this stuff um, somehow linked to the Kill Radio. <laughs> well, talk I'm not. It's n e a r f i e l d dot com forward slash squiggle Dan. Okay. Squiggle is also acceptable. Everyone yeah, know everyone knows exactly squiggle. what you're talking well, about. I worked. I worked at a um, at an architecture firm. It was R and D, but it was instead of and, it was an ampersand. And then people were like, "What the hell is an ampersand? It's the and symbol." Right. So. Uh, but you didn't like the web, the web guys didn't get like R A N. Oh my god! D. We had to spell it. Out. We had to spell it out, and it it it, we, it was it was a mess. Because yeah, like when I've worked at companies like that, they buy like every variation that a client could possibly put in, and then yeah. redirect them. I didn't know you could have ambersams in the web address. You can't. Oh no! You no, no. That's why I said you have. We had to spell it out. So you spelled out R ambersam D. No, no. R A N D D, and then it just went on. I don't want to so give a full like website because I don't care for them very much. Okay. But but basically, the the logo was different. Yes. Than the website. The website. So were you not a geek in the nineties? Were you like cool in the nineties? How did you not know about Tildy? In the '90s, oh, I was. What was I doing? I, no, I was. I was um, doing pottery and pot, pot there and pottery. Pot that was pottery. my life. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I was like a yeah, vaguely for like a month. I didn't know anything. Only a month. About computers. Yeah, and then I decided it wasn't cool. I didn't get into computers, so I went to art school. Um, and I re- oh god, I remember when I was in junior high. Oh, never mind. It's it's a, <laughs> never mind. It's a tangent that. So it's when did you get related. into bicycles? Totally not bike <laughs> Were you, were you, were bikes with you your entire life? No. Or I... you got cool once you found <laughs> bicycles? Or you were no. always cool always and the always. bicycles just sort of added to it? Bicycles totally added to it. I didn't get into bikes till I moved, moved out here. Well, till way after, after school. You got into bikes in LA? That's awesome. I did because, um... That's I good. Was, I like it. I was very, like, my lifestyle was very physical, 
back in the day, like Let's before I went to college. <laughs> before I went to college, I was a carpenter's apprentice and did pottery and worked at a coffee shop. I was always on my feet or doing something physical. And then I went to school and I did uh, uh, construction. And then when I got my first office job, I started just being really just lazy, you know, just sitting at my desk and doing nothing physical. And I was complaining to TJ Flexer, the owner of Orange 20 Bikes. And he was on the show a couple weeks ago. Oh, Did he already oh. own Orange 20 by then? No, no. He was doing graphic design and he was living at my friend's house and we just, um, we were drinking buddies. And um, he was, me, him, and Jim C were hanging out one night, and TJ said, all right, time for you to quit your complaining. He went behind his little house, and he pulled out this, this broken-down little bike and um, said, you're coming to the kitchen next week, and he helped me fix it up. So my introduction to bikes and the kitchen were simultaneous. That's and awesome. And it's actually, if you turn around, that's the bike he gave me. That's the frame. It's just an old steel mountain bike. It's awesome because that's I can, like, awesome. get up over curves without picking it up. Because the bottom bracket's a little higher. What's funny is that your life story is kind of the story of America, right? Like, we were a young, scrappy country, <laughs> and we were doing, like, awesome things in the 19th century, and we were working hard, and we were kicking ass, and then we went to World War II, which was like art school, and then after World War II, we sort of settled down to, like, office jobs, and we got really fat. Like, you know, we, like, started eating fast food, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden we were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not America. So in this, in this equation... What role does TJ play? TJ is like um, TJ is like Schwinn in the bike boom in the seventies. Okay. And Schwinn was like. I like it. I like yeah. that we just equated World War II with uh, art school. <laughs> art school. Yeah. So. That's true. But it, it was great, and I and it really like it, I discovered a whole new city because of it, and I got to use tools again. Which was really what nice. about the other two? Have you? Did you guys always bike, or did you discover biking once you moved to L.A.? I mean, I became a lot more radicalized into biking once I moved to L.A., because, like, I biked in Portland, you know. I didn't, actually, I didn't really bike when, like, I biked when I was a kid, and then I didn't really that much, like, in high school. And then I started again in college, and then, um, but I still drove a lot. And then once I moved down here is when I actually, like, got rid of the car and started biking everywhere. Just because I hated driving here so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'd never, like, been involved in, like, any bike organization and stuff in Portland. Like, once yeah. I moved down here. Yeah. It's, it's funny how, I mean, that was that was my experience as well. I biked, I'm from Idaho, and I biked, you know, all through my childhood. And then I moved to Seattle. And in Seattle, I biked. But, I mean, I think that because it wasn't anything odd. Yeah. Uh, people didn't look at you funny when you said you biked there and that's why you were sweaty or whatever. I never really felt compelled to join any sort of like cycling organizations. But since I've been here, it's the same thing. I don't like driving here, so yeah. it's much easier for me to to bike or bus. But people do, I mean, and and it was because I have to justify the fact that I've biked places to different people. I think that I'm more compelled to to bike. Kristen's giving me a funny look, but it's just people no, people no, people no, look at you when true. when you show up somewhere and they're like, "How did you get here? Where where did you park?" I'm <laughs> like, "Oh, well, yeah, I just I biked." And they're like, "Isn't that so far?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's like 10 miles, but you know, it just rolled rolled there, rolled home. It's nice." Always oh, oh. a biker. Uh, grew up riding bikes as a kid and really associated bikes with like freedom in a way. Like I used to in this high is school, just this is a good. I like this metaphor. Uh, <laughs> in high school, I would uh, 
I would sneak out of the house after my parents went to sleep, and I would ride my bike from, like, 11 o'clock at night until dawn. Do your parents know this? Yeah, they know this now. They did not know this in high school. And my sister was sneaking out after my parents went to sleep to go to these raves. Um, but I, <laughs> I was not going to raves. I was riding my bike from, like, <laughs> 11 <laughs> until 7 in the morning. And, like, it was... I mean, if you've never ridden your bike all night long, it is a fucking amazing to, like, have dawn happen on your bicycle. It's, it's true. so great. But I didn't think about it as, like... I didn't think I was different or weird or anything. That was just, like, what I, like, you know, I was such a clueless kid that I didn't seem strange. Like, my sister went to parties, and I did this. <laughs> and then um, when I got to college, I remember, oh, God, I should send this lady a thank you letter. I was standing in the computer lab, and this girl came up to me, and she was like, you have a messenger bag on. Do you know anything about fixing bikes? And I was like, I've done a couple things to keep my own bike running. And she was like, you should volunteer at the bike co-op. And uh, I don't know if she did that to everybody who had a messenger bag. I mean, this was the late 90s. She would have had to say that to half the campus. But uh, I uh, started volunteering at a place called the Bike Co-op, and it, like, it changed everything. Like, fixing bikes. Cause for me, like, I love riding my bike, but it's like 50-50 fixing bikes and riding bikes. Like, bikes are such beautiful mechanical objects. They're so simple, and they do such a good job of extending human power. And, like, the fun you get when you're, like, repairing something and you, like, get a little insight into the mind of the person who at one point designed it and, like, figured out how something would work. So I immediately, at that point, like, got really into cycling, moved to D.C., worked in a bike shop in D.C., and then... Um, what I, bike shop in D.C.? I worked at City Bikes oh, in yeah. Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. familiar. And uh, they made me assistant manager after, like, a month there, and they told me I could be manager if I stayed, and I looked around at all the other managers, and they were, like, in their 40s, and I freaked out. And I was like, I don't want to manage a bike shop in my 40s. So I moved to L.A. to follow dreams of the movie industry. But uh, I was really miserable here without, like, a biking community. Like, I rode my bike everywhere, and I was that weird dude who showed up on a bike, but I didn't have, like, bike people in my life. I'm and so happy about the bike people in my life, oh just God. as a side note. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's very nice to have bike people in your life. Well, especially in a city like L.A. is an aspirational city for the most part. It's a city of, like, climbers and people trying to get places and stuff like that. And, like, bike people are just where they are. Yeah. It's like, we're here right now. Like, we'd like to change the city. It'd be awesome if we had more sheriffs and, like, we're working to make change. But simultaneously, it's just really about, like, how great would it be to go on a bike ride today? And it's not about, like, oh, my God, if I miss that phone call from the agent or something. You know, like, it's just a completely different world. And there's, like, some movie industry people in the bike world, but there's also a lot of other people who are just, like, living life, loving riding bikes. And so I started volunteering at the kitchen, and I don't think without the kitchen I could stay in L.A. I agree. Yes. Do we have a bathroom key? (laughs) Well, how about this? How about we put on some more music, (laughs) take a a little musical interlude, um, and then we can figure out the the restroom situation here at Kill Radio. Um, But yeah, I I would agree mostly about the the bike community. I think that that's really been a key reason why I want to stay here in Los Angeles. I've just just recently made the decision that I'm planning on staying here indefinitely. Well, it's the unity of adversity, right? Like, I gather that, like, the rebellion in Star Wars was really unified. They all really liked each other. And I think that the, in Vietnam, everyone really got along with Ho Chi Minh fighting the evil empire. And I think in L.A., like, being in the minority and sort of struggling against the city that, like, sometimes doesn't really treat cyclists with much respect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is sort of an awesome sensation. Like, I was the non-political guy in D.C. growing up, and I loved that. And, like, being the cyclist in L.A., like, you bond, you tend to bond really well with the other cyclists That's of L.A. True. In a way that, like, when I was a cyclist in D.C., everyone was a cyclist in D.C. Right. So. And, and with that, we are going to listen to some more Baroque music.
music for those of you who don't enjoy it and love it the same way that we do. Um, but we've got, uh, we were trying to come up with the, the best kind of starting point for this next, our second half of the show. And Prostates. it's going to be... Butt buns. <laughs> butt buns. <laughs> butt buns. Yeah. What are butt buns? So butt buns are saddles that are just two little pads. And so when you look at it, you're like, that's a saddle? Because it doesn't have the horn that sticks forward and there's yeah, nothing they, in they between work. these two pads underneath your sit bones. How do you how do you stay balanced? Well, it's weird. Like, honestly, the first couple of days I was riding it, I, I, you have to relearn how to ride a bike. And it is very different because you're not used to balancing right, left. And I turn differently because I've realized that a lot of the time when I turn, I lean by pushing my thigh against the saddle. And now I can no longer do that. So it's much more like a full body lean than it used to be. Bobby, did you just make the transition too to the butt buns? I, I tried one for like a week once um, after I had my prostate issue. And yeah, I didn't like it because you do a lot of control with the, the horn part. Yeah. So I, like, I, I honestly, and, it took me a month to get used to it. So are you, you riding on one now? Yeah, I'm riding one now. Yeah. Yeah. We have another friend who recently transitioned because him and his wife are trying to make a baby. Yeah. I'm not going to say who. I don't know if it's I, appropriate for me to say who, but it's very exciting because uh, they're going to have good babies. Well, and it's both a good looking. thing, right? Because, like, the argument has always been, because I've ridden a Brooks saddle for the last 10 years, and the argument I've always made to people when talking about it is that, like, if your saddle is hard enough, you get up on your sit bones, and there's no pressure in between your sit bones anyway because you're up off the saddle if your saddle is hard enough. That being said, like... You know, I had some issues with persistent prostatitis, and then my dad had prostate cancer. And I was like, I don't want prostate cancer. Like, that seems like the worst. So it seemed, it was like a preventative decision for me. But it does sort of change. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a different style of riding. Well, you end up having to put more weight on your hands, right? Yeah. I actually, I think I'm going to have to tweak my handlebars a little bit. So yeah. I think it's, you, you end up rejiggering your entire fit because of the different way you put the weight on your bike. I'll also say this. After a couple of weeks, I'm able to put more weight on the, um, what is it, a soft and goody or something? I forget what the actual butt button saddle is called. Oh, um, yeah. The brand name? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different brands. I don't know. It, it seemed to me like the advantage wasn't wasn't worth the, the hassle of it. Like, it seems like a well-designed seat with a cutout is better to me. Are like, you rocking a cutout right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. And how is that treating you? Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, just because, like, you know, it just has, like, two big big bumps where the sit bones are, and my sit yeah. bones go on that, and then, you know, there's a cutout, and then there's a horn, like, set below that. So, you know, I can still use the horn for steering and stuff, but I'm not usually touching it. Like, I'm up on the, my sit bones on the back of it. Yeah, like, I got to check one of those out. I'm yeah. going to give this a couple more months as sort of an exploratory thing, because, honestly, I do miss riding like I used to ride. Yeah. Like, can you ride hands-free with this kind of saddle? Yes, but it's weird. Mm. I think I recent, very quite recently, I made a, a client kind of a, um, maybe moderately uncomfortable at the kitchen when I was talking about the different kinds of saddles, yeah. and then I'm like, or you can here's this bike that has the butt buns. I I, I just think it's funny because I what? think of two little biscuits, but and I'm like, and this is for you know, I'm like if you th if you're thinking of making babies anytime soon, this is a, a good option. Well, it's an awkward conversation all, uh, to have with whatever gender client you have. I mean, yeah. you know, when you're discussing <sighs> that area of, the, like, when I have a lady client, we're talking about, yeah. like, saddle fit and stuff. And then I had one lady client the other day who started, like, you know, stuffing them up in there to see which one fit on her sit bones. And I was like, you're awesome and hilarious. And I wish <laughs> you were always this non-awkward. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of the damage that a bike seat 
does. Is that something that's just kind of... Have they decided that that is... There's no defini- like, definitive... Like, here's, here's the thing about the prostate. The prostate is way more mysterious than we would think it would be considering how important it is to dudes and how much research there is going into uh-huh. it. But, like, things like prostate cancer and prostatitis, like... I, I went to a very hippie doctor about prostatitis, and she and like after going to Kaiser, where they were like, "Oh, prostatitis is just you know you just get used to it. You just have like oh, that is not fair." My dad's, I, my parents don't listen to this, but my dad would get really embarrassed. But he suffers from it, and yeah. that's his doctor's attitude is like, "You're just you got to live with it." But it just seems like it's just so he he really suffers. Yeah, it's it like sucks. I don't and I the hippie doctor say. Oh, I've, I've been on, like, a big hippie doctor odyssey of probiotics and fasting and, like, all sorts of other stuff. And, like, it's fucking working. It's great. It's totally, like, changing the thing. But one of the things is that, uh, in general, the prostate is something in which you can get very... Uh, because of the way the prostate is... De- I, I don't know if designed or because <laughs> it evolved or however the hell we ended up with the prostate. It, um, it's possible to get very deep infections there because it... Uh, it's not like your liver or your heart where everything cycles over really fast. So if you take antibiotics... You can, like, it, flush something out. Exactly. Like, the prostate is, like, a storage thing where there's, like, lots of deep little vesicles. So it's really hard to get things like antibiotics in there. And I don't like antibiotics anyway because they make my whole body feel all crappy. So it's really hard to knock out persistent prost- uh, prostate infections. And the other thing with, pro- um, with the prostate is that there's all sorts of factors that affect it. For instance, eating a lot of red meat. But also, new studies are coming out that, like, being promiscuous affects it because you're, like, interacting. Like, even My dad's not promiscuous. <laughs> even, in a, even as a young man? <laughs> as a young man, was your dad a player back in his 20s? He was. <laughs> and actually, yeah. And they've, like, they've done a lot of studies that say that, you're, you know, even 40 years later, it affects you because your body gets introduced to all sorts of stuff from the ladies. Um, <laughs> oh, blame it on us. I'm blaming it blame on his it on variety. Us. If he'd only had one sexual partner, he would statistically be way less likely to have prostate issues. All right. I can't talk to my dad about that, but are there, what are the tips? Do you have tips? I'll, I'll send you this ebook that I got uh, called <laughs> Cure Prostatitis in 60 Days, and it's great. It's awesome. Ah. I mean, it's deep hippie stuff. You have to, you have to like be sort of open to the idea that like probiotics can cure problems in your life. You know, ever since me and my sister went vegetarian, like, Fifteen years ago, they started opening up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, also, you know what I just realized? My dad does. He doesn't ride a bike, but he does spin class. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. should get. I should get him a spongy wonder. A it's called a spongy wonder. Spongy wonder. It's called the spongy wonder. You should buy him a spongy wonder. If I produce them, I would call them spare the bits. Spare the bits. <laughs> That's good. Spare the bit saddle. But there's nothing like a persistent medical issue to make you become a deep hippie. Like, I it's had migraines true. for like a decade, and it's I went true. to all these doctors, and they were like, oh, so you just take these expensive pills that make you crazy. And then I found <laughs> magnesium online, and I take a lot of magnesium, and I haven't had a migraine in like five years. I and did. Like, oh, hippies. I dated a guy who had a, a migraine for like a pretty much persistent migraine for a year. Wow, he must and have fun to be around. he went, oh, God. He went to, to the, he, he went through so many experimental. Yeah. procedures and he was like put on these really crazy pills that they, they had to hospitalize him beca- to just to keep him on this, these drugs and ended up being a pinch nerve because of his he thought it was gangsta it was like pimp and cool to have a chain wallet full like full of dollar bills <laughs> and it it screwed up his posture when he was sitting because it, it shifted so his heavy. hips and it made a pinch nerve that is amazing. and it was he went to a chiropractor and it, 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. I recently, I'm, I'm, I'm recently like taking the hippie to the new extreme. Just got to do it. If yeah. you have medical problems that no one else can solve, or they want to solve with like really complicated pr- medical procedures that you're not interested in. Which is what's frustrating about the prostate thing, because the si- the bicycle is how I cure everything else. Like, if I'm in a grumpy <laughs> mood, if I'm feeling bad, if, like, you know, I, I'm like, I know no matter what else happens, I can go on a bike ride, whether I go on a bike ride with people or alone, or I can go teach people how to fix bikes, and I will feel better. And I've cured headaches with that. I've cured, like, allergy, like, anything. But then all of a sudden... this. Wait, you've cured allergies with the bicycle? Oh, Just yeah. getting out and moving. Getting out and exercising more? Totally. Like I find that the more and raw I honey, I heard raw body. honey. What? <laughs> local raw honey. Yeah, helps local cure. raw honey is also good. Actually, and it's delicious. And quitting dairy helps a lot with allergies. It's really tough to give up dairy because dairy's good, but yeah, quitting cheese dairy. is delicious. Cheese is magic. If you have allergy issues, try quitting dairy. It's so great. It's so great. Um, yeah. What's interesting though is that the saddle thing makes me wonder about other areas because there's the three areas you touch your bike, right? Like, you touch your back with your hands, your butt, and your feet. And there's also the muscles you use. Yeah. And yeah. I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, pedaling techniques. Yeah. And how you can engage your different muscles. Because usually I just, like, I kind of do the scoop thing. And what, what is this muscle called above your knee in the front of your thigh? Quad. Quad? Yeah. I usually end up working my quad. A lot more. The but scoop thing? Can yeah, you explain, explain the scoop the thing? thing? The scoop thing? Well, it's just like foot position, and it, it's so pretty much diagonal. through the back part I of just, your pedal stroke? Yeah, and I kind of just keep it at that kind of angle. At a oh, you keep it at an angle the whole time? Pretty much. Interesting. Pretty As much. to flat. Yeah, so if, so if you're... You drop your heels well, so they're parallel. Then you engage your, your calves. calves. Traditional advice has always been through the front half of your pedal stroke, you keep your foot flat. And then the back half, you gently pull up. So it's oh. flat up, flat up. And there's actually an Eddie Merckx joke, returning to Eddie Merckx, that uh, so this famous uh, um, Belgian cycling coach who'd coached Eddie dies, and he goes to heaven. And he's wandering around heaven, and he's seeing all these people on bicycles. And he's like, wow, I had no idea. Heaven's awesome. Everyone's riding bikes. <laughs> this is great. And then all of a sudden, whip, really fast, goes past him this dude. And he doesn't get a chance to see who it is, but he sees the pedal stroke. And it's that perfect Eddie Merckx pedal stroke with that perfect, like, 45-degree up angle in the back part of the stroke. And he says, oh, my God. I didn't know Eddie Merckx died. And the guy standing next to him says, oh, no, that's just God. He thinks he's Eddie Merckx. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> bum Yeah. Well, I recently if, if discovered... If you were obsessed with Eddie Merckx, you'd find that funny. I, 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 I have a feeling this is going to be my new obsession. Pedal, pedal stroke? No, no, Eddie Merckx. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Bobby says he's hot, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the other badass thing about Eddie Merckx is that, like, cycling cyclists today are fucking pussies, right? Like, Eddie Merckx raced in every race year-round, right? Like, he would race the tour, and he would do a mile record, and he would do the... Like, you know, like, every, cyclists... Lady build- bits are not an insult. Lady bits are awesome. We yes. have less saddle issues than you gentlemen also, do. Also, vaginas are one of my favorite things in the world, so why would I I think it's. I, I personally it think it's smarter to keep the bits on the inside. Uh, cyclists today are kind of wimpy in that they build <laughs> their whole cycling career around like one or two races a year, and then they don't really try as hard at the rest of the races because they're saving themselves. Like Lance didn't do the hour record. I don't know if he's ever done an hour record, and he certainly wouldn't do it the same year he was doing a tour pass, right? Because it's like this big, complicated science thing. Whereas Eddie Merckx would, would do a one-hour record and, a, and win the tour in the same year. 
And then every night of the tour, like drinking wine and smoking cigarettes, like staying up all night playing poker, like living life, racing bikes. Oh my god! <laughs> we just pulled up a picture of, of Edward Lewis Joseph. Is it just me or does he look like Arlen? He He's kind got of has an Arlen chin. Also, uh, and hair. The early Eddie Merckx bikes. My friend Anna has an early Eddie Merckx, and there's a black and white picture of his face on the front of it. Like, Lamont didn't put his face on his bike. Right. You know, but like Eddie Merckx, there's like a picture of him looking like super 70s with sideburns on the front of his bike. Oh, wow. It's awesome. Not the later Merckxes, but if you get an early Merckx, there's a big picture. So, Anna, if you're listening, people should be looking at your bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I recently discovered a new kind of pedaling technique to yeah. get up short, abrupt hills. Yes. And it's hard to, and it engages my butt muscles, mm-hmm. my glutes. Um, they're glutes, right? Gluteus glutes. maximus, yeah. yeah. Gluteus maximus. Butt muscles. Um, and I was surprised. It was climbing. And usually when I climb, I sit really upright and I just like... Really? Yeah. Well, I sit really... Yeah. I sit really upright and I just try to like relax my upper body and just give all my energy to my legs. So you just lay there and think about your canning. Yeah. And then, you know, stand at the last last minute. Um, but... I, what I did recently was I, I got down my, the, the top half of my body. I got down as far as I could mm-hmm. yeah. and actually locked my arms in and just push, push, push. And it engaged my butt. Yeah. Somehow. Well, do you have drop bars? I do have drop bars. Because the bottom part of the drop bars, the bottom flat of the drop bars are your climbing part of the, f- the drop bars. So I didn't realize that. you can use those to push the bike back and forth while you climb. Well, what, while you're standing. No. When you're out of the saddle. you're down. Like those are the, those are the climbing bits. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't remember actually what really my powerful. hands were doing. Yeah, but um, man. that's that's where I'm most interested right now is my is my my position the position of my hands on the no <laughs> uh, <laughs> on on like where where it's most effective to put them while I'm biking on different kind of terrain. Yeah, because that's I think I'm I'm a little af- I know that my bike can go faster than I can. And so I need to get better at handling, like handling techniques yeah. so that I can make sure that when the bike is ready to go 35, 40 miles downhill, I can do that instead of, you know, braking to slow myself down. Like it would be very nice to be able to just go, but I'm, I'm always nervous about, you know, hitting a, I don't know, something in the road that will send me flying. Or like a door. Yeah, or a door. Um, yeah, I'm not really a fan of going that fast downhill. Like, <laughs> I don't really like going over 30 miles an hour. I find myself going faster uphill. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't like long downhills. Like, I like brief downhills. But yeah, and it's just yeah. sometimes you hit a really long downhill, and you're trying to keep up with people. Psychologically, I can't let go. I ride the brakes the whole time. I just like even, have you ridden well, Mount Wilson and stuff? I I'm very visual and uh, like I see like I see scenarios in my head. <laughs> okay. Which is bad. Right. Like cuz if you envision something, you're more likely to make it happen. So I just imagine my bicycle crumbling underneath me while I'm going downhill. It's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, and it happened to 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 Marcus. The other day his bicycle fell apart. When him and him and and Kim were married, and they used to ride that tandem. And he was he would captain. She would she was the stoker. They were going down, I think Stadium Way or something. They were going flying downhill, and the fork just broke. It does See, happen. Yeah. And the other day, my I'm not a very good example um, 
of a cook at the bike kitchen who maintains their bicycle in the same at the same level that we you know make sure our clients that we have preach a bike. <laughs> um, the, the other day I was going down a very fast hill and my chain came off and it started like sparking on the road <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> wow and the people behind gasoline. me the people behind <laughs> me thought it was like fireworks you know but oh wow it, this, this it just like spark. i mean it's one of those things that like once i'm more confident in my bike and i can start taking care of it which i'm trying to focus on and make time for each week and once i have better handling skills especially for things like when i'm you know biking up griffith park to the top and i'm then i'm biking down that those trails are you know bumpy and there's a lot of stuff that's kind of in the way wait you ride the ride. trails well just you know when you're biking up griffith park um there's you mean the fire roads is that what you're talking about yeah 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 and i mean there's also sometimes uh other stuff you know the roads just aren't very smooth yeah yeah and so i need better handling skills so that i can work on that continue (laughs) the phone just the phone just rang but yeah hand position is one of the reasons why i love drop bars like whenever a client comes into the kitchen and they're like i want to put flat bars on my road bike i'm like are you sure that your road bike bars are actually where you want them to be because like the variety you get out of drop bars so wonderful so nice yeah I've, i've never like i've been trying to actually use the drops sometimes but I just feel like I'm way overextended when I'm in the drop bars. Well, that's because like, a lot of people don't rack their handlebars high enough, right? So maybe yeah. you should try a longer stem. Like, my stem is, like, 11 inches long so that I can get my handlebars up high enough so that I yeah. don't, like, you know, I'm, like, most comfortable in the drops. And then when I want to be really upright, I sit on the top bars. But most people ride bikes. Oh, so you're like, like Johnny Green. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it, He's got that ridiculous stem. <laughs> but a lot of people ride bikes that are too small for them. And then all you yeah. can really comfortably, because you should be comfortable in any part of your drop bars. But if you can only yeah. comfortably reach the top, flat part of your drop bars then you're missing out on all these other options yeah yeah because yeah like a racer should totally feel extended when they're out in their drops but like normal people you should just be able to get in your drops because your hands are tired of sitting where they are yeah 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 and your back yeah and your back wants a variety and your arms want to shake it up and your hands and stuff like that but like i think a lot of people end up riding bikes that are slightly too small for them in my in my experience yeah and that's i mean i'm also just yeah trying to figure out you know, how to make sure that you're in- engaging, you know, all of your core muscles instead of putting all the weight on your, you know, like on your wrists or on your shoulders. I mean, really, like, the, the part of the bicycle that's that I'm still trying to work the fit is, you know, my upper body because, you know, the lower body is easy, you know, you're just pedaling and that sort of thing, but making everything fit um, for the upper half is... Can you do anything for your upper half on a cyclist? I thought well, I, mean, I just can... thought being a cyclist meant... Core muscles actually mean yeah, quite a lot. because really? you shouldn't be putting... You should be able to, like, when you're biking, remove your hands and, like, kind of maintain your position, right? You don't want to put all your weight <laughs> on your, your wrists. Oh, I see what you're saying. You, you know so, what, like, so, so you're, you're, actually, you're actually using your muscles to hold yourself up, yeah, not so just... Yeah, so, like, when you're leaning over and, like holding onto the handlebars you shouldn't be like gripping the handlebars really yeah but you should be taking like 20 to 25 percent of your weight on the bars yeah but you should i mean but but i think i i think that maybe i put more than that percentage okay. and that's what i'm trying to figure me out me too like, how to well to be a good cyclist you should really like support the core muscle i'm i mean i have no core muscles i have like okay. one big round <laughs> core but no i have no core muscles it's so bad but um Really, because a lot of people talk about arm fatigue and back fatigue when they're riding, and you can, if you strengthen your core, 
then yeah, your weight dispersal, you can like, same as when you're moving your arms around a lot, you can like shift your weight around mm-hmm. more and it's better. I need to start doing crunches. And yeah. Stuff. But like, it's just fun to ride a bike, right? Yeah, like I try true. not to get so stressed <laughs> yeah. out about it. No, no one, no one think about this too much <laughs> because it is, it's just fun to ride a bike, but you want to be able to ride a bike painlessly. And yes. that's the kind of the, the, that's like where I'm working right now is like, okay, it's, you know, I'm trying to figure out what 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 part of the pain is from past injuries. What part of it is from because I don't know how to properly f- fit on my bike. Do yeah. I need a longer stem? Do I need to like raise it up higher? Do I need to switch out handlebars? You know that sort of thing. Oh, bike fit is yeah, bike fit's huge. Cause Very co- huge. And people get so obsessed with frame size, but like you can adjust frame size with like seat height and handlebar yeah. height. So it's really just like. The distance between the yeah. seat and, and the yeah, bar. The frame isn't too too big. Yeah. Frame size is like a starting point. Yeah. 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 I Although, mean, the real comfort is in the fine tuning. Yeah. But Which changes a lot. Like I change my like I change fit every couple months, right? Like my body can be more or less flexible, or I can feel stronger or weaker. And like if I'm on a tour, I might change. The last time I was on a long tour, I think I tweaked my handlebars on my saddle every day. What was the longest tour? The longest tour I've ever done was 700 miles. From where to where? Mobile, Alabama to Houston, Texas. Nice. It was nice. It was great. It was it was two thousand and one, so it was sort of a night. It was it was awesome. Yeah. And it was funny because it was me and a buddy of mine who was African American, and everyone told us, "Oh my God, you're going to the South. It's like a white dude and a black dude in tights. You guys should bring a gun." And um, <laughs> my sister, she was she was somewhere in Alabama. She was sta- she's a forest firefighter, and she was stationed doing some like river rehabilitation. They got shot at with rifles, and these dudes were up in the trees going, "Get out of our river!" <laughs> wow. Did, did she shoot back? Did she have did a gun? She, she did not. They kind of they ran away. They got out of the river. They got out of the so river. So the guys with the guns were effective. Yes. In this situation, violence was the answer. <laughs> yes. Wow. So what happened to you? Nothing. We had one incident where maybe there was a little racial like issue. Like we were camping one night, and it was clearly a campsite. There were all these other tents, and the dude came out and was like, "You guys can't camp here." And we were like, "Really?" And he's like, "Nope, no camping here." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess we will leave." But other than that, we did not have a single problem. Although, did you say anything about your pretty mouth? He did not know. There was no conversation about that. But I did have to buy nail polish at one point because I got a hole in my thing. Oh, no. So I had to go <laughs> in tights run. Into, a, into a store in Louisiana and buy nail polish while wearing tights. That was awesome. <laughs> wow. I never thought about that. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, no, it was great. It's one of the best. I, I, I haven't done it since Katrina, so I don't know what it's like now, but it's one of the best rides I've done in my whole life. In, like, October, we rode through the edge of a hurricane, so it rained for, like, three days. But other than that, it was so good. But I have a lot of friends in Houston, so it was like arriving and knowing people as opposed to otherwise I think Houston as a destination might be a little strange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that sounded kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have Bobby or Kristen, have you guys done any like kind of long extended touring like that? Yeah, I did a, I did a solo bike camping tour from Oregon through to California, um, oh, like wow. Eureka. But I, I was only like six days, um, but it was really nice. Like I just I just went to campsites and um, and I had like really janky equipment like it was you know just like my Italian road bike it wasn't really a touring bike I didn't have a triple or anything and so it was funny because I'd run into other bike tours and they'd be like wow like you're doing it on like that bike because they'd have like you know touring bikes with like a lot more gears and stuff 
so I felt like really hardcore. But then I met a guy who was on like an even crappier bike than me doing it. <laughs> like wow. Yeah. And then and then last time I did a tour from um, Chicago to Cleveland in the Midwest through across Michigan and stuff. Nice. And through Detroit. And that was really awesome. Biking across Michigan was actually really, really nice. And I hear biking Detroit. I have a buddy who's in Detroit right now who's like, who says cycling in Detroit is just awesome. Yeah, biking in Detroit is really awesome. Detroit's really awesome for a lot of reasons, but like definitely biking is really cool because your sight lines are so good because so many buildings are collapsed that when you get to intersections, you can see everywhere because there's always, there's not that many buildings and there's not any that many cars because it's a city built for, you know, three million people or and there's you know, like what a half million left. Or yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Much, much less than that left. So there's four lane streets everywhere with no one on them. So yeah, it's really nice. I highly recommend it. Yeah, Detroit. I dream. I dream of the the long distance bike camp thing. I've never done it. Really, it seems never like something it. that would be right up your alley. No, we went bike camping, but it was only like we only rode like 17 miles one day and camped and then rode back the next. That's as much I'm, as I've. I'm very surprised. Yeah, I've never done. I mean, I've never done it either. I would like to. I my, again, to bring up my little brother, he's gonna do some sort of like cross country thing next summer, and I would really like to be able to. From join where him. to where? I believe. Well, I think he'll be living in Portland, um, at least tentatively. That's his plan right now. But you know, those things change. Um, and then all the way east, and I'm not sure what he's hoping his destination will be. I don't think he's really. In terms of, like, a route, I don't think he's really picked anything. Um, but it would be with a group of his friends. And I think, you know, if I can main, maintain my semi-unemployment uh, through yeah. the next year and save up enough money to do that, I think that would be really great. You know, I just realized I would love to, to ride in Canada. I don't... Could I, you do that? You would have to do that in the summer. I don't know how... It's so pretty. I just remember I drove... I. When I when I drove from with my family from Chicago to Montana, we cut up through Canada, and it was just so lovely. And it was in the fall. I would do it in the fall. The trees yeah. turning, yeah, Christmas and it's actually, in the air. It's nice if it's slightly chilly. Although what's funny about bike touring is if like we did a hundred miles a day, and so you kind of have to get up early in the morning to do that, and so you know. Really, even in Louisiana, it was really chilly in the morning, and then really hot in the afternoons. And so I imagine, man, a fall tour through Canada, waking up at like six in the morning, it's going to be pretty chilly. But then from like noon till four in the afternoon, it's just going to be the perfect fucking riding weather. Yeah, that sounds nice. And like I say, yeah, I've never done. I've done kind of extended walking tours, but <laughs> never on a bike. And I think that doing it on a bike would be far superior. Yeah. I mean, walking is nice too, but... Yeah. Well, it's also like, I think it's important not to get too hung up on the idea of doing it by camping, right? Like, I think it is also perfectly legitimate to do, like, motel tour by bicycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah when I was in the Midwest, we did, um... We were doing couch surfing in motels. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we would just, like, use that couch surfing website to stay with people in the cities we were going through. Because most of the places we were going was just one city to another. Yeah. And then when we were, like, out in the rural areas where we couldn't find anyone, we would just do a motel or something. And what's great about that is it gives yeah. you a little bit more flexibility if you're in, like, or, you know, because, like, campsites are not as common in motels, and you don't have to carry as much stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you can ride more miles in the day, and you're a little, you know, and, like, like we ate at diners and stuff. It was great. Yeah. We ate at Waffle House every other day. And, like, yeah. Waffle House is a very hearty trucker breakfast that, like, really gives you the fuel of bacon to, like, get you through a nice ride. And so... <laughs> Like, yeah, I think bike camping is one way to think about it, but I think it's important to remember that bike tours can be anything where you decide to ride your bike mm -hmm. 
a really long distance. Yeah, the credit card touring. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. I don't really need to save up money. <laughs> if I am still unemployed or no, I think we should. I, like I, let's call it debit card touring. Debit card touring. <laughs> let's let's still okay, encourage people to yes. save for it. I'll try to save the money, but I think it would be really. Uh, you guys fun. ever look at um Shel- that Sheldon Brown website? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. SheldonBrown.com is a wealth of knowledge. He passed away he just pass a away couple, couple years, years ago. ago. But um, does he have advice? He's legendary. Credit on everything. Yeah, yeah. He he has a good bit on that where he's like, instead of all this gear, like just take this piece of technology. You know, and it's a picture of a credit card. And it's like, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and we're about to uh, get a call from Eric, who's going to give us an update on the Tour de France. Oh, was that was that the the okay. phone ringing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're just we waiting go. for him to call back. The Tour de France is happening right now. Apparently, <laughs> I'm one of those cyclists who just does not know about. Yeah, that. Like, I don't follow it either. I don't think it's any of us do, which is why we count on Eric, who does follow it. And, <laughs> Eric. Uh, Eric Potter. No, Eric. I don't know his last name. He is a student of Nick's or a former student of Nick's who normally runs the show here. You should ask him what his last name is when he comes on. Because the thing I like about cycling is that, like, it's like it is a sport. And it's a transportation, and it's a recreation. And, like, yeah, people are often surprised that I don't follow the Tour de France. They're like, oh, but you're into biking. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm into riding bikes. Like, I don't know any of those guys. All right, if my friends you. were racing, like when Moy races, yeah, I'm now, kind now, of like, now that hey, we've, Moy. Now that we've bashed talking about it, well, let's, let's hear what he has to say. <laughs> Hi, Eric. You're on Kill, or on Kill Radio's Bike Talk. Are you going to give us an update about the Tour de France? Yes, I am. All right, what's happening? Well, the... One week down with two to go. The first week, pretty much flat stages favoring the sprinters. Uh, first stage was won by the Italian Alessandro Pataki. The 36-year-old still proves that he still has that kick in his legs from before when he they used to call him L.A. Jet. He out-sprinted Mark Cavendish's lead-out man, Mark Renshaw. There was a crash, actually two of them in the final kilometers, but of course, UCI rule says if you crash in the final three Ks, you don't lose any time, so everybody was safe. Stage two saw a breakaway that got the Frenchman Sylvain Chavanel. He rode really great, and they got him into the yellow jersey with a lead of 57 seconds over Fabian Cancellara. Stage three, which many people said would be a decisive stage because of the cobblestones, wasn't as decisive as many people thought. Um, there was a break that included Steve Cummings, Ryder Hegedal, Pavel Brut, pa- Pierre Roland, Roger Cluj, Steven Auger, and several other riders from the Kazakh Parn team and the Kofidi squad. The gap, the gap grew to 4 minutes and 40 seconds at 52 Ks. Garmin's Ryder Hegedal broke away at 4 kilometers to go. For a while, he was looking good, but Fabian Cancellara, his Saxobank team, with Thor Hushov, reeled him in in the final kilometers. Ryder Hezhidal, at the end of the stage, got fourth place, but also got the award for the most combative rider, and that also placed him at fourth place in the general classification, 46 seconds behind Sylvain Chavanel, but also in stage three. Sylvain Chavanel had bad luck when he punctured three times and had several bike changes, which lost on the yellow jersey to, again, Fabian Cancellara. Stage four was another 
another stage favoring the sprinters. Uh-huh. It was 150K from Cambrai to to Reims. During the final Ks, again, the lead-out men, the sprinters teams, Lamprey, Team Columbia, Cervelo, controlled the front to get their sprinters into good position for the win. Once again, Alessandro Pataki won stage four ahead of Julian Dean and Team Sky's Edvold Bolzenhagen. Cancellara, once again, stays in yellow. Um, <clears throat> Pinel from Quickstep got the first polka dot jersey of, of the King of the Mountain of the King of the Mountains. Thor Hushov keeps his lead in the green jersey of the best sprinter. Thursday in stage five, another stage favoring the sprinters. But again, a break made by Ivan Gutierrez, Jurgen Van Wall, Julian Elfares gained a 7-minute and 55 lead over the main peloton. But once again, the sprinters team reeled him in in the final case. Ivan Brook broke off during the final case to maybe get a little hope of getting the stage win and disrupting the sprinters team. But, you know, Columbia HTC is just too good at the, too good when they're in the front. And they gave Mark Cavendish his first win at the Tour of the France, meaning, I guess, his bad form from 2010 is coming on. Stage six, another win for Mark Cavendish, two in a row. At the end of the stage, a little something went on between Quicksteps Carlos Barreto and Kaizen Pines Rui Costa, which they exchanged blows after the stage. Um, they exchanged blows? Yeah, like, they got into a little like fight. Like punching blows or yeah. word blows? Yeah, um, in a fight, and you know, fists were thrown, and everything. It, it was said during the stage that one of the riders um, elbowed the other, and so I guess he wanted to wait till after. Apparently, the judges decided not to disqualify the riders, but they were both fined 200 Swiss francs for what they what they did. I guess it's much better than being disqualified because nobody wants to leave the tour. Yeah, I mean that's. That that sounds like the biggest scandal so far, right? The yeah. cyclists. Yeah. I mean, Are you doping? no offense yeah. to cyclists, but I can't really imagine what it would look like to see them start fighting each other after they just did like a, a stage. Well, pretty funny. I mean, imagine guys in <laughs> bandit doing pretty it. Pretty funny. And yeah. Did they fall off their bikes and then get a massage. Also, throwing the fact that you got them shoes that are kind of hard to walk. Yeah, on. that's true. That's true. Um, and has there been any issues with doping this so far? With the what? Doping. Oh, mm, nope. Nope. Nah, not so at the far, moment. So far, it's clean slash difficult to see. Yeah, well, I mean, you still got, you know, those allegations made by Floyd Landers in the past, but right. I mean, nobody has come out positive. And then uh, the one other question we have for you today is there was something about them x-raying bikes to check for motors. Oh, yeah. Um, Can you tell us a well, little bit about that? Yeah, um, apparently during, I, I think, during the Spring Classics, they were saying that there there is this little um, mechanism that fits, I think, into the seat tube of a bike, which is a little motor that helps um, turn the cranks, and, you know, you really don't do much effort into pedaling. They said Fabian Cancellara used that during his wins in Paris-Roubaix. Um, there was a video that was in YouTube that showed weird hand movements. Mm-hmm. And his um, gear shifting. Many people. Um, there's people who are probably thinking, you know, maybe he uses it. Then UCI said that before each, um, yeah, before the tour, they were going to do X-rays on the bikes to check if anybody had those little things. 
but nobody has it. All right. Well, um, any other big news before we let you go? Well, um, today's stage it was um, the first mountain stage of the tour. Um, again, another breakaway by the king of the mountains right now, Jerome Pino. He said he was going to attack to get um, to extend his lead in that classification of the mountains jersey. He did it really good. He extended his lead to 44 points. Second place is his teammate, Sylvain Chavanel. That break was caught by another breakdown that included um, Thomas Volkler, um, Damiano Cunigo, and several other riders. They got caught. Apparently, Jerome Pino got dropped, but he did his work for the day, getting extending his lead in the King of the Mountains. Sylvain Chavanel once again did a replay of stage two, going into a break and again putting himself back into the yellow jersey giving him a second tour, tour victory in this tour of 2010. He holds a 1 minute and 25 second lead to Fidel Evans. Tomorrow, they will go into the Alps. Monday is a rest day. Tuesday, they continue into the Alps. I'm pretty sure that's where the big boys will, will come out and play. Alberto Contador, Andy Schleck, Lance Armstrong, and other favorites. I'm sure there will be a switch in the general classification then. All right. Well, thank you so much, and we look forward to hearing from you next week about what's happened. Okay. All right. Take care. Yeah. All right. And with that, we're going to leave you with some music. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.